All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Uh, we're going to be in the book of James, in James chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> you know, just again, a reminder, we were talking about it, uh, potluck this coming Sunday, but also we've got our Bible studies uh, coming up on this Friday, so please make sure you take note of that on your calendars. Um, but uh, we've been going along at a fairly decent clip here in chapter 3. Uh, obviously, chapter 3 has one central subject uh, having to do with words, uh, the mouth, specifically the tongue. Uh, as he uh, goes into some details about it, uh, uh, Lord willing, uh, we may actually get through uh, a lot more of this and may even be able to get to the end of it. I don't know. I'm uh, I'm optimistic, but I also know that I have a tendency to blather on. So <laughs> we're going to uh, prayerfully uh, start it, and uh, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time you've given to us. I thank you again for uh, an opportunity to study your word. Um, Lord, I'm just uh, very grateful and thankful uh, that you have taken time to teach us and to show us these things, uh, demonstrating your care for us, how you would take uh, these words and preserve them for us uh, so that we can use them. Uh, several hundred years after they've been written, Lord, they're still very pertinent today. How you use your Holy Spirit to, to guide us, direct us, and to lead us into those paths of righteousness. And I pray, Lord, that we would just have uh, that understanding as we look to you this evening uh, for it, for that wisdom. And again, I thank you for all that you've done for us. And this I all ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, last week, we kind of left off talking a little bit about uh, some of the sins of the tongue. Uh, we had talked about some cursing, lying, blasphemy. Uh, slander, and again, to kind of remind what slander is, slander isn't necessarily a lie being told about somebody else, but is uh, something that is uh, possible, that, that actually may be true, but again, is being publicly broadcast in a way to have somebody think lesser of someone else. Uh, we talked about backbinding, uh, a little bit about uh, um uh, being a busybody, uh, over there in first Peter uh, chapter four, uh, that is something again where an individual busies themselves in other men's matters, uh, of which they really shouldn't. Uh, sometimes they just, uh, uh, whether a person winds up getting overzealous or whether it's their, uh, idol, as we find, uh, uh there's a connection to idleness and busybodiness, uh, over there that Paul's talking to Timothy about. Uh, we just, uh, something to be avoided. Um, you know, other people need to make sure that they're, uh, basically minding their own business. Uh, start judging yourself before you start judging anyone else. Uh, start making sure that, uh, what you're doing in your life is, uh, uh, lining up before we start, uh, talking or, you know, investigating other people's affairs that way. Um, I, I want to pick up with uh, a couple of the other ones that, that we've talked about. Uh, they're very similar in their form, um, such as whispering. Uh, that is, again, very similar to uh, the backbiting and the, the slandering and some of the tail-bearing. Um, and we find that, obviously, this is something that is uh, very prevalent in the world today. Keep your place in James 3. 
go over to the book of Proverbs and Proverbs chapter 11, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 11, um, again, you know, we, we've, we've, we've got to be very, very careful about these things in Proverbs chapter 11, uh, when it comes to, uh, um, tail bearing. Uh, tail bearing, uh, in verse, uh, 13 of uh, Proverbs chapter 11 says, this tail bearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Uh, a tail bearer is very similar to that person that is a whisperer or a backbiter or a slanderer. Um, they are an individual, again, somewhat of a busybody. It is concerning themselves with somebody else's matter and it decides to go blab somebody else's secret. You know, uh, things that are, are, you know, spoken in confidence generally should be left that way. Um, you know, again, uh, there are certain things that, uh, that, that shouldn't be, uh, left a secret. You know, if somebody's telling you, uh, of certain things that are, are going on, you know, of an abusive situation or something of that matter, uh, and there's times that actions need to be done. You know, a child comes and tells you of something that's occurring in the home where abuse is, is happening. You know, uh, as, you know, people of our children's ministry, we were reminded of that the other day. Uh, we are mandatory reports. We have to report that. That's a serious matter that we take, uh, very seriously. So, you know, we, we obviously take those things into concern, but this isn't what this is talking about. Uh, a tailbearer is somebody that essentially, well, when you think about it, that root word tail is very close to what would you do when you have a tally. You would go and you would, uh, if you would take a tail of something, see what the exact amount is, and then that would be reported, written down, and uh, communicated to whoever it was, whether it was the shipper or the receiver. Uh, it, it's a commerce term. Uh, a tail bearer is somebody that takes something that is actually factual and it really isn't theirs to tell and blathers it all over the place. Uh, just uh, spews it all over and that tale is generally true, but again, it is not theirs to speak of. It's not theirs to reveal. It's not theirs to talk about. Um, and if there's one thing that I find uh, very clear in scripture about all these things. And, you know, we, we lump gossip in there as kind of, if you will, an overarching description of some of these things. Uh, God just wants us to mind our own business. Um, and he makes that pretty clear. You know, there, there are some times that things have to be discussed and those are, uh, you know, when things do come up that are serious and of a nature to address, but a lot of times there are things that we just need to not focus on and we need to focus on what God has commissioned us to do. Just like with Peter and John, as I was talking about the other day in John chapter 21, after Peter receives his commission, he's concerned about what's going to, what John's going to do. And, and Jesus Christ is basically along the lines of what's it to you? Why is that so important, Peter? Why don't you just focus on what you need to do and leave John alone and let John do what I tell John to do? And, and that's very clear what we have to do scripturally. Uh, this is where we, we, we look at what the tongue does and what the tongue is capable of doing. We described it uh, very clearly and he goes into detail about it. 
uh, about, you know, being a fire. And we talked about how deadly and dangerous that can be. And he describes it in a little bit more. We'll get to here as we move on. But it, it's something that needs to be avoided. Turn to chapter 26 of the book of uh, um, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 26. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 26 <clears throat> and uh, verse 20. It says, uh, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. I love just how just blunt God is and just plain. If there's no fuel, the fire does not burn. I, I mean, it's, it's that simple. And then he gets to, the, 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 if you will, the comparison here. So, where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. You know, sometimes you need to remove those people from your life. Sometimes you just need to say, look, and, and if the person's got a problem with it, let them have the problem with it. If you just simply say, and somebody starts talking about somebody else, just say, look, that's not my concern. And it shouldn't be your concern. And if they can't handle that rebuke, well, the problem isn't the person you're talking about. The problem is the person that's talking. That's the issue. And what do you do? You know, the Bible talks about casting out scorners. The Bible talks about here, uh, it, you know, if the talebearer is not there, that strife isn't going to exist. And generally, that's where the problems arise, is when people start, if you will, flapping their gums about something of which they have no knowledge or no understanding or whatever it may be. Uh, and again, to turn to Ephesians 5, we'll move to the next one here. There's so many other things that we can take a look at that, that, that people do. You know, uh, one of the things that, uh, I'd love to cover in detail, but I'm just going to cover, uh, in, in, in just, uh, just a small amount because again, we'll probably wind up talking about it a little bit later. But there's the idea and the concept of complaining and murmuring is something that God truly dislikes. If you want to make God mad, just start complaining and murmuring about whatever. Whether it's his provision, whether it's what's going on in your life, uh, whatever is happening, you start murmuring and complaining, go over and take a look at what happened with the nation of Israel. It did not end well for them. It did not end well for them. And we'll take a look at that in just a minute. But but I want us to see here in, in Ephesians chapter 5 a little bit more uh, about some of these things that we talk about. You know, he talks about uh, all of these things that should not be named among you, <coughs> among us as believers in verse 3. And here he continues that list in verse 4. He says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Now, I want you to take and remember that phrase. Foolish talking, jesting, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. It's hard to complain when you're giving God thanks for what you have. Well, that's the mentality, and if you will, the truth of the matter is the more we fill our, our heart with thanksgiving, the more thanksgiving that comes out of our mouth, the less complaining comes out. Because we're thankful for what we have. It may not be the most ideal situation for us or what we think is ideal, but I will tell you this, it's still something to be thankful for. 
And it's probably more than many other people in the world have. So we have to keep that in mind. But he makes clear these two things. He says, uh, 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 foolish talking and jesting. And jesting, you have to be very, very careful with. There is a right time to do stuff. There is a wrong time to do things. And, you know, sometimes goofing around just causes problems. So you have to be careful. If you're gonna, if you're gonna crack a joke, now it doesn't mean that God isn't, you know, He doesn't want us to, you know, uh, have a, a good time with things and enjoy things and stuff like that. But again, if it's making fun of somebody at their expense, probably best not do that. We have to be careful with it. You have to be careful because there are people that that really hurts them. There are people that, that, that do it to themselves and so on and so forth. And I understand that, that, that concept. I get, I get that. But let's, we have to just be very careful about what we're doing. And this is what God wants us to do. Be cognizant of what we are saying. Be cognizant of the timing of the saying. And also being cognizant of how it is being said. The Bible talks about, and we mentioned the verse before, a word fitly spoken means it fits the right way. And sometimes people think their words are the puzzle piece that almost fits, and they want it to fit, and they're going to make it fit no matter what, so they bust out a pair of scissors to make it fit. That's, no. You just ruin the whole puzzle that way. Then you got a problem. Then you got a missing piece. Then you got to try to make that other piece fit, but which really doesn't fit. And then somebody looks at it and goes, Oh, this is a great put. Oh, you got two. How did you do that? We've got to be very careful about it. But that foolish talking is one that, 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 if you will, is a major important clue as we continue on into James chapter three. Because as he goes through and he starts talking about all these things, you, you, you kind of look at the whole matter of, man, that tongue, I should probably just go cut it out. Because if it's going to cause me that much problems, why, why is it even there? Because here's the situation. The tongue that he's describing here is one that is without the wisdom of God. And we find that because the second part, or I should say the, the last third of this, this chapter deals with the wisdom of God. There's a connection between wisdom and words. There will always be a connection between wisdom and words. They are inseparable. We receive wisdom from the word of God. So we realize that you cannot separate the two. So our words, if they are going to be wise words, and they're going to be things that please God, then we need to make sure that it is the wisdom that, as he says, is from above. Take a look at one more passage, uh, uh, or a couple more passages. I want us to go over to Numbers chapter 14 really quickly, just to, 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 to kind of point out this issue of, of things with, uh, uh, you know, some of the end results. <clears throat> Number chapter 14, 
And here we have the situation where, uh, you know, the people are murmuring, obviously. Uh, they, uh, you know, we find that in verse two, where they're murmuring against Moses and against Aaron. Um, and they're talking about it would have been better if they had died in Egypt and blah, 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 because all of a sudden they go into the land and there's giants in the land and 10 of the spies come back and say, we can't do this. Well, no, you can't do this. God can, but you can't. That's the whole idea. I mean, come on. We, did you not learn that, in the, you know, with the Red Sea? I mean, it's kind of like a, a one of those things that you go, that's duh. It's, it, it's the youth group answer. It's like, well, how are we going to fix this? God. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's not that hard to figure out, but yet they did. And the end result is, is they began to murmur. And you take a look at verse 36 here, and it says, And the men which Moses uh, sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land. Now, did they say anything that was incorrect? There's giants in the land. Was that correct? Absolutely. Were they grasshoppers in their sight? Absolutely. Was, I mean, they described a beautiful land and all these things, but were they, were, were they walled cities that were going to be difficult to take? Absolutely. Was it going to be a challenge? Absolutely. Could it be done with God? Absolutely. But what they did is they turned their heart people, the people away from God. That's what slander does. It turns the, the, the focus away from God to someone or something else. That's the problem. And what happens with them? Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. Now, this makes sense when you start realizing what he says about the tongue being a deadly poison. It, it will bite and, if you will, kill the person that says those things. It will cause a problem. It will cause a problem. Turn over to Psalm chapter 39. Psalm chapter 39. <clears throat> I want us to see this one passage, and then we'll get back over here to the book of James. Psalm chapter 39. <clears throat> Psalm 39, verse 1. Here's the mindset. I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, while the wicked is before me. Now there is a prayer that we should always be praying. There is something that we need to, if you will, purpose in our heart to do. We need to know exactly what direction God wants us to do, and that includes how we respond and what we say. And he says he's going to take heed to his ways, and he's going to look at them. He's going to make sure he's checking them. He's going to make sure he's judging them. He's going to make sure all of those things that I sin not with my tongue. So many times I see believers go over to James chapter 3 and go, oh yeah, that's me. I sit with my tongue all the time. Stop it. Don't. What's wrong with you? I mean, you know, try at least. 
It's like they read those things and they just go, well, it's impossible to do. No, it's not impossible to do. Why? Because you have not applied the word of God judiciously to your life to make that change. We can make that change. Words matter. Words matter. Go back over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and we're going to pick up with verse 6, and he says, continuing to describe the tongue, he says, the tongue is a fire, as we talked about before, a world of iniquity. A world of iniquity. Can you imagine what the world was like in Genesis chapter 6? Yeah, I don't even think we can even get close. You're like, well, we're getting close to it now. I don't, I, honestly, I don't even think we're even, I think we have a ways to go if we want to get to that. I mean, we had things coming down and doing things with human beings. I mean, we're, we're, we're getting close to that. Where that was made known, I mean, they're, they're wanting to talk about, you know, aliens and us being visited by aliens and all sorts of other stuff. I'll give you a clue. There are no aliens. There's something else you don't mess with. Those are fallen angels. Those are spirits you ought not have anything to do with. The Bible says in the days of Noah... I don't know if we're quite there yet. It seems like, yeah, we're, we're, we're that, uh, ball bearing, you know, on a grease plank or however they want to rephrase the, the thing. But the fact is a matter of, yes, we're gaining speed. Yes, we're heading right towards it. Yeah, it looks bad now, but I can guarantee you it can get a lot worse. It can get a lot worse. says that the, 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 the thoughts and the imagination of their hearts in Genesis chapter 6 was what? Evil continually. They rejected the prophecies of God. They rejected the prophecies of Enoch. They rejected all of those people that were telling them, God's going to judge you, God's going to judge you, God's going to judge you. And they rejected it. And then you see eight people getting taken out. You see Enoch getting caught up. You see all those things happening. But what you wind up finding is you find that not only does it say that the thoughts were evil continually, but it says the whole world was filled with what? Violence. We're getting there. We're getting there. Violence, I mean, you just take a look, you know, pull up whatever news source you want to pull up and on their, if you will, on their splash page, go down to about 12 articles and count how many of them deal with violence. Violent crime is on the rise. People are talking about, you know, gun control and things like that. Okay, over there in Camas the other day, the guy in Walmart, he wasn't carrying a gun. What was he carrying? He was carrying a samurai sword. I'm sitting there going, hmm, okay, well, there we go. Guess what? Stuff like that has been happening in Japan, which banned their guns a long time ago. By the way, 
they'll find a way to do it anyhow. Right. People are like, well, that's just a cop-out. No, take a look at what happened. Remember back, way back when one of the biggest problems they were having in Japan is somebody was going around and they were using ricin, a nerve agent, a nerve gas, a chemical weapon to kill people in mass. Don't, don't kid yourself. That can happen here in the United States too. Everyone was afraid. Remember back right after 9-11? All the stuff in the mail? We had protocols about receiving mail. You know, you had to be irradiated, had to be checked, had to be cleaned, had to be handled with gloves and a mask and so on and so forth. In case you open it up and there was a white powder and it might be anthrax and who knows what it was or some other. And you're just like, seriously? How soon we forget, right? But the end result is, is we, we, we have a world that is concerned with death because they've rejected wisdom. That's what happens when you reject wisdom. But he says very clearly, a world of iniquity. A world of iniquity. Let's just figure, our mouth can be that bad. Our mouth can just be that bad. But, here's the issue. It must be contained. Let's not try to tame it, because we get on here a little bit further. He says, uh, uh, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so the tongue, uh, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on the fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and has been tamed, of mankind. We tame dogs, right? Man's best friend. We tame cats. We have domesticated cats. We have, you know, domesticated turtles and lizards and spiders and fish and sharks and orcas and, you know, bears and things in zoos and so on and so forth and all those things. And, and we, we, we as human beings think we can tame them. Well, as we find out, you know, they still have their natural instincts that God gives them. And if you, Anger them enough, yes, they will bite your face off. Physically. That's happened. That's an actual event that occurred. But let's think about this here for a moment. We are capable of taming those things, but we can't tame a tongue that is essentially without God. It's impossible to do. And he says, but the tongue can no man tame in verse 8. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Look, you know, people try to, they want to try to tame it. And as I said, you know, people have tried to tame tigers. There was a famous, uh, what was it, Siegfried and Roy, right? They had their tiger. One of the guys actually died. Because guess what? Tigers are kind of hard to tame because they still have that natural instinct of if you upset them enough, they will do that. I mean, again, same with a dog. You know, we got our, when we first got our little, uh, you know, Jack Russell Chihuahua mix, uh, Rolo, uh, it was, we had warnings all over the paper and they were warned us and they called us, talked to us. He's a biter. He's a biter. He's a biter. Yeah, well, every Jack Russell and Chihuahua is a biter. 
Dogs are biters. Why? Because that's kind of a primary defense thing. It's the way that God made them. You know, the Bible talks about it. You know, meddling with strife that's not your own. It's like grabbing a dog by the ears. Go ahead and grab a dog by the ears and give it a good yank. See what happens. You know, rabies shot later, you, you know, you're, you're, you're in the hospital getting stitched up. It's what happens. I, I don't want to try to tame the tongue. People, you know, if they will, they want to try to control it. They want to, 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 if you will, put it in such a way that, that they think that they can actually manage what comes out of their mouth. Why do you think the, 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 you know, the psalmist talked about putting a watch over his lips, asking God to do that? Because he knew that he needed God to help him with this, to do it. What has to happen is it has to be, if you will, brought into captivity just like our thoughts. And it starts with the thoughts that are in our hearts. If those are brought into captivity and our heart is fixed upon God and we love the Lord with everything that we have, guess what's going to happen? That is the stuff that's going to come out. But in chapter 4, he talks about what does come out is the communication of what I want and what my flesh wants. There's the issue. There's the problem. And he takes a look at this and he says, look, you know, that untamed tongue, that uncontrolled tongue, what is it? As he says there, it's an unruly evil. It cannot be ruled. Well, let's just be clear about this. God wants us to be ruled. Number one, God God instituted government. Let's just understand that. He's the one that, that created that from the very beginning. Man has ever since corrupted it. And if you take a look at what God really thinks about governments, go take a look at how he ranked them on uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's statue. You begin to realize, oh, God doesn't think a lot of men's government. But what we wind up seeing with it is we wind up seeing people say, well, we don't want to be ruled. We don't want somebody over us. So on and so forth. Then we just want to be left alone. If you will, the anarchist. Just leave me alone and let me do my thing and everybody will do that which is right in their own eyes and everything will be fine. No, it won't be fine. We've already found out what the end result of that is. Letting everybody live according to their conscience, being their guide, led to Genesis chapter 6. Led to the whole world being flooded. And that's the mentality that people are trying to go to today. But what we find here is we find that God says, look, it's an unruly evil, meaning that it does not want to be ruled. But let's be clear, we need to be ruled. 
Colossians, we were just talking about that over there when we were studying it on Sunday. It says, let the, you know, you know let peace what? Rule. You have to be willing to submit. You have to be willing to yield to the Holy Spirit. You have to be willing to be subject to what God says to do. Otherwise, we are a rebellious people. We rebel against God. In verse, uh, in verse nine here of chapter three, he says, uh, therewith we bless God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Now, this is interesting. Cause he says, look, you know, here's the situation. God made man in his image, according to Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, right? It was very clear he made us in his image. We're in the similitude of him. Now, obviously, things are a little bit different since the fall. But still, at the same time, it describes God as having a beard. It describes him as having hair, uh, eyes, ears, mouth, uh, hands, arms, feet, so on and so forth. So while he is a spirit, it does describe him in such a way as having a humanoid form. Well, be, that, that being, he's not, he, he is not human. Jesus Christ was made man and God at the same time. He was in the flesh, so we understand that. But what we do understand is, is that there's an image with God creating us, making us very similar to him. As it says here, a similitude of man. And God points out the hypocrisy. Here we are over on one side and we, you know, we're over there, you know, Praying and, and, and we're saying, Oh Lord, you know, you're so great. You're such a mighty God. Uh, thank you for all that you've done for us. And, 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 and Lord, you've just been, you know, such a blessing in my life with salvation and all you've given me. And then we turn around and we talk about someone else or we look at someone else or we say something to someone else that's disparaging and cursing, if you will, and bringing that person down. You know what God points out? That's hypocrisy. God does not like duplicity and hypocrisy. He doesn't like a person saying one thing and having something different in their heart. That's a lot of what the book of 1 John deals with. That's the whole issue with the Pharisees. Yeah. And we wind up seeing these individuals that, that were all, if you will, focused on them and themselves and not caring about anyone else except themselves. And they made that clear when they said, uh, if we don't stop Jesus Christ, uh, we're going to lose our position and our country. They weren't even in it for Israel. They were in it for their position. Israel was second place. And you know what God says about that? That's pride. It's pride. You know, we talked about all those things about backbitings and whisperings and tailbearing, anything that's gossiping and slander, and the, a lot of those things uh, that have to do 
with how we speak about other individuals or talk about people. And I'll tell you this, that's the one thing that you have to be very careful of because if you're trying to make yourself look better, whether it's in your own eyes or in the eyes of God, which is laughable, or in the eyes of someone else, you're falling right in line with the pharisaical doctrines. All about us. Now look, that's what we're taught. That's what we're indoctrinated with. And I still remember, you know, back in the day, I, yeah, I used to watch Saturday morning cartoons. Remember when that was actually a thing? Back in the day and before they, like, quickly terminated it for some weird reasons and decided that kids didn't need to watch cartoons anymore. It's probably a good thing, but yeah, then they replaced it with something that was even more horrid, but oh, whatever. Um, the end result is, you know, I remember a lot of those and it was always talking about, you know, at the end, you know, Superman is sitting there saying, well, son, you just need to believe in yourself. Uh, no, you need to believe on Jesus Christ. Well, you, you just need to have that positive attitude and you can overcome anything. A positive attitude isn't going to get you anywhere. The Word of God will. Yeah. Hearing to Him, hearing to His, what He tells you to do and His will will get you somewhere. But it was all about me. It was all about promotion. I mean, I remember, if you will, that indoctrination. I remember things that were, when I attended elementary school through sixth grade, all those things, they were talking about me, 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 and all about, you know, how I can make myself look better and so on and so forth. And my social standing within the classroom, and I needed to reflect on how I was viewed by, I'm like, oh, good grief. It was all about me. And when you've got a class of 20 me's, Nobody cares about anybody. That's why we can't have a church that's all about me's. It's all about Christ or we're meeting in vain. It's all for his glory or we're meeting in vain. And he points out, he says, here's the duplicity of this. He says, this is wrong. And he communicates in the next few verses, kind of, if you will, a little bit about the expectations. That ought not be there, because he says right out of the, in verse 10, he says, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. He says, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. He sets a very clear expectation. James gets right to the point. Stop it. There... <sighs> I, I, I can't say stop it without thinking about a pastor that that that, that said that from the pulpit. Um, we went to a, a pastor school one time over in um, they called it that it was kind of a preaching conference over at Treasure Valley Baptist Church, and um, uh, with our little package that we got, we got this little CD uh, that talked about and Pastor Michael was talking about social media. And I was like, oh, this ought to be interesting. And and he made a comment and he said, uh, you know, I, I know he said it to us guys. I can't remember if he also said it uh, in some of the services, but the, to the, 
to the pastors that were there. He said, uh, some of you have been asking uh, for a copy of that message. He said, we just produced a whole bunch of figure. We give it to everybody just so you guys would stop asking. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, so, you know, here we are, we got this brand new CD. We're all excited about it. You know, we're heading back home. You know, the, the girls are in the back of the car. We're all loaded up and we're heading out and we was like, Oh, Hey, let's go ahead and plug in the CD and let's, you know, listen to a nice preaching tape. And, uh, he's addressing an issue in the church where somebody was having a Facebook fight. He, he saw there was this one couple that was not talking with his other couple and they'd been talking before and they were friends, but they, and he noticed something was wrong and he, he asked one of the deacons, he's like, what's going on here? And, and the deacon's like, I'll check it out. So the deacon investigates it, comes back and gives a report and says, uh, yeah, there was a, a Facebook fight. Uh, somebody said something and they didn't like that. And then, you know, it was posted, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, now they're mad at each other. And Pastor DeMichael's like, what? So he gets up the very next Sunday and he addresses the situation and he addresses social media and the, you know, the drawbacks and everything that's about it and, you know, how it can be deadly and so on and so forth, you know, referencing some of these things. And he just basically says, he says, from here on out, here's the policy of the church. He says, if you say it on Facebook, I'm going to consider it as if you yelled it in the foyer out in the front. So if you say something awful and evil towards somebody on Facebook, I'm going to consider it as if you did that right in the middle of church. And he said, and I will address you and we will take care of this. And I'm just sitting there going, Ew. I look over at Amy. She's looking at me. We both got wide eyes as I'm driving along and I'm like, Oh man, I'm scared. <laughs> And then he gets on there and he starts saying, and he says, and furthermore, just to address the whole issue about doing these things on Facebook, he yells into the microphone, stop it, stop it, stop it. Dead serious, you know, yelling at people. I'm I'm just sitting there. I remember just clicked in that drive, you know, that steering wheel like, oh, and, and Amy's just looking at me like, What's going on? And we were like, just, you know, there was fear. <laughs> we weren't even in the message. <laughs> we had nothing to do with that. I was just like, whoa. But here's James doing the same thing. He's telling him, stop it. And it just, it, it, it has to stop. You know, and this is the issue. Things that, that, that get talked about that are not talking about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and how great a God we have and how much we love him and, you know, trying to see souls get saved and trying to see people grow and things like that takes away from what God is desiring. And he just simply says, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. He sets the expectation. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he makes this comparison. He says, does a water or does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Kind of an impossibility. He says, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield 
salt water, and fresh. And he points out here in these two verses what is the contradiction in verse 10. You cannot have blessings and cursings coming out of the same mouth. You're either going to be saying the things that are of God, or you're going to be saying the things of self, pride, and the flesh, and the world. And the two are not compatible. It creates a problem. If you've got, you know, if one day you turn on your your, your faucet and you you take a swig out of the water and it's like, what is this? And I'm not talking, well, normally you kind of do that with tap water anyways because it's nasty. But, you know, if you were to take a swig out of it and it tasted like ocean water, you'd be like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You go outside to your garden, you're getting ready to pick something, go over to your tomato plant, and you realize that the tomato plant is no longer bearing tomatoes, but has decided to produce kumquats. You'd be like, what is going on? Something's not right. And this is where God is getting at. Something is not right. What's not right? What's the issue here? What's the problem? Verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. There's the problem. They're words without wisdom. They're not considered. Nobody sits down and and looks at it. You know, there's a reason that the fruit that comes out of a tongue and a mouth that he's describing here is rotten. There's a reason why those things are cursings and bitterness and things like that. It's a lack of wisdom. Remember I said, remember what uh, over there in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3? What was the one that I wanted you to remember? Foolish talking. What is the book of Proverbs about? It's about two men. The fool and the wise man. The fool and the wise man. And what do you wind up finding? The fool is exactly the one that Psalms talks about. It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool behaves as if God doesn't care. The fool doesn't care if God cares. The fool is, is, if you will, as obtuse to God as he can be. Instructions given, he doesn't follow it. A commandment is given, he doesn't obey. Counsel is there, and he disregards it. Well, the whole book of Proverbs is about that. And it compares those two. Remember the young man that was void of understanding, essentially the foolish person, was the one that was caught in the snare with a woman. The evil one. But the one that listens to wisdom and her instruction, that one is blessed. It has to do with what the heart is doing. Wisdom's out there crying in the streets. So is the woman seeking 
that, that, that young life, if you will. They're both out there trying to get the same thing. They're trying to get a soul. And what we find here is we find that wisdom is the missing element. Wisdom is the missing element. Uh, the words that we see that he's talking about here, these sins, if you will, uh, they're without God. What does that mean? They have not been considered in the light of his word. Is this the appropriate thing to say? Is this the right thing to say? Is this the right thing to even think about? Is, is this something that I need to even entertain for three seconds? Or does it need to be brought into captivity? It's not considered in the light of God's wisdom. It's not a, and what it is, is it's associated with a form of worldliness. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 32. I want to point this out just really quick. Deuteronomy 32. <clears throat> Keeping an eye on the time, I may not make it. Deuteronomy chapter 32. <clears throat> and in verse 29. <clears throat> and I understand the context of this verse. And I'm going to try to pull this context, pull this verse out of context. But, but, but here is a cry that really truly fits. It fits today. It fit when, when this was being written. When he was talking about all the things and the sins that had, had gone on and all the problems and all the things that, that, that Israel had done and how they hadn't listened and here they are getting ready to go into the land and dealing with them and their disobedience for 40 years in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 32:29, he says, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. And I dare say that a person that is endued with wisdom, the person that has sought wisdom from above, the person that is looking from the, for the wisdom of God, considers the latter end of it. What does that mean? They consider the consequences. What happens if I open my mouth and say that? What happens if I actually utter that thought that probably should have stayed inside my head, probably should have never been in my head in the first place? He says, oh, that they were wise and they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. You know, that's that's all God wanted them to do when they came out of Israel, the first generation. Consider the latter end. If you just obey God, you're going to get the promised land. Trust God, you'll get the promised land. No, what they do, they murmured and they slandered, and the end result is they got plague. They didn't consider the consequences. And here's the end result. When we don't consider the consequences of what comes out of our mouth, we are not wise. We're not wise. And he says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. What does that mean? The words and the works match 
the words and the words match as a good conversation. There isn't blessing and cursing. There isn't saying I love God and then hating somebody else that's a brother in Christ. There's none of that going on. There's none of that going on. All of this is associated with, if you will, a form of worldliness. Turn over to the book of Proverbs. We we will end on this thought, but we will end with a few verses here in Proverbs. uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And we, we, we have, if you will, one of the fairly well-known verses in the book of Proverbs, where he says in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. But verse 7 is where I want to get at, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. And there's the problem, is we're wise in our own eyes, often we think we know what is best to say. We know what is best to say. But some of the verses that we'll look at and some of the verses that we understand is sometimes it's best if you just don't say anything. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. You don't know what the right thing to do is, the right thing to say. Probably best to, probably best to just refrain from opening the mouth. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is what? Wise. Wise. There's the wise man again. Somebody that just runs their mouth incessantly, they're going to get in trouble. They're going to get in trouble. It's usually that person that sits there and is that person that runs their mouth that usually gets popped in the mouth. (laughs) <laughs> it happens. You know, I, I, I will tell you, there. I've been in management meetings where I've actually fantasized about that. I'm sorry, I'll admit that. <laughs> just, you know, push it, get up, push it, the, the chair back, walking up to a person, they're just looking at you, and you just like, pow! And you just, you know, and everybody just kind of like, applauds. <laughs> and HR, HR applauds because it was the right, no, that generally doesn't happen. You know, usually police are involved and you go to jail. That's why you don't do those things. You refrain from that. You control that spirit, right? But the Bible says you're going to get into trouble. You're going to get into sin if you can't contain your words. What does he see? He says, refrain is wisdom. To refrain is wise. Take a look at what he says in chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 3. Chapter 14, verse 3, he says, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. A rod of pride. Remember, I always go back and I talk about, you know, that rod of correction. Those are words. While there's a physical rod of corporal punishment, we understand that. That rod that we're often talking about is the word of God. This is not the word of God. This is a rod of pride. Something else used to abuse somebody. But he says here, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. 
somebody that is, if you will, the foolish person that is speaking, they are beating people up, if you will, with their own pride. How much better they are. Whether they're talking bad about somebody else or they're talking themselves up, it doesn't matter. They're using it as, if you will, a bully pulpit. But somebody that actually uses the right kind of words, the lips of the wise, somebody that is, if you will, expressing the wisdom of God, has the capability of preserving. The Word of God itself is preserved. It also has a preserving effect on us, keeping us from evil, keeping us from being spoiled by principalities and powers. Because they will want to do that to us. Take a look at another passage. I go over to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, take a look at uh, verse 2. It says, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright. Notice these are all connecting wisdom and words and righteousness and things of this nature. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out Foolishness. Foolishness. Something that is completely absent of God and is just absolutely not worth anybody's time. But somebody that actually has that wisdom in the tongue of the Lord, what is it that happens here? He uses that knowledge he's received correctly. The right way. The right way. Take a look at verse 7, same chapter. He says, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but of the heart of the foolish doeth not so. Somebody that is wise is going to want to talk about the wisdom of God and is going to want to share that so everyone else has it. You know what the fool wants to do? The fool is the only one that wants to have that knowledge and only wants to have that wisdom, and he won't share that with anybody. He's not a teacher. He's selfish because if somebody else knows that, then they'll be just as good as him. You're like, that doesn't happen. It happens in pulpits all the time. It happens in churches all the time. We see it happen in government all the time. It happens in a lot of places. Take a look at chapter 17. Chapter 17. Chapter 17. And, uh, um, Verse uh, 28, chapter 17, verse 28, it says, Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. I love that verse. And God, in such eloquent terms, just said, Shut up. (laughs) I love it. He just, he he that shutteth his lips (laughs) is esteemed a man of understanding. Sometimes, you know, it's just better not to even say a thing. But, you know, a foolish person can be considered wise when they close their mouth. Let's, let's not open our mouths and be worse than the foolish person. Take a look at one more here in verse 20, or chapter 29, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. 
We see this connection of words from the mouth, from the tongue, and wisdom. And he says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it until uh, until afterwards. Why? Because he ponders the right thing to say. You ever have that person or know that person that has no filter? That just they they just say whatever's on their mind. It's <laughs> what God thinks about it. What does that mean? Think before you respond. Think about the appropriateness. Does it match what God wants me to do? Does it match his word? Does it match his will? Is it right? Is it the right time to say it? Is it the right way to say it? You ever been right? You told somebody you do something and then they did the opposite. And then they come back to you and they they tell you, Oh man, I shouldn't have done that. How 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 tempting is it for us to say, I told you so? Don't say that. Don't say that. Instead, ask them how you can help. Because they probably already know. But when you bring in that I told you so, you're just bringing pride right into the situation. Because more than likely, it was probably the Holy Spirit that was communicating through you, so it wasn't necessarily you. So let's take the I out of it and inject the right kind of things, the wise things. Now, I thought I would get through this. There's a few more things that we've got to go through in this this last uh, few verses, but we'll cover them fairly quickly next week. But I, I don't want to keep you too long tonight. But these are things that we really, truly have to think about. James 3 is a very pivotal passage of Scripture that really should make us re- reflect. And I'll tell you this, if we feel conviction, we should act upon it. If you feel conviction, don't just sit there and pray, oh God, help me, and then do nothing about it. Go through the corrective process. Look at your life. Judge it scripturally. Have I said the wrong things? Have I said the wrong things to the wrong, you know, to a person? Have I done something? I need to make that right. Seek the restoration. But first and foremost, confess it to God. Get it right with Him. Repent. Turn away from those things, but make sure you're turned to God in His Word to do the things that you're supposed to do and say the things you're supposed to say. Go through that process. Don't skip a step. Follow through with it. Don't take lightly anything that God convicts us of. This is all teaching. This is, this is a teaching thing. But again, if teaching brings about conviction, respond. Respond. That's the key thing.
Let's be closed with a word of prayer. Brother Mike Nemeth, would you dismiss this in a word of prayer, please?